Hi, I'm Mark Roderman. Coming up on Front Row, the Biden Commission on the Supreme Court splits on court packing. No deal yet on North Carolina's budget. And Facebook under fire. Next. Major funding for Front Row is provided by Robert L. Luddy. Additional funding provided by Patricia and Ku Yuen through the Yuen Foundation, committed to bridging cultural differences in our communities. And by... Funding for the lightning round is provided by NC Realtors, Helen Lockery, Mary Louise and John Burris, Reifenberg Construction, Stephen Gleason, and Jane and Van Hip. A complete list of funders can be found at pbsnc.org slash front row. Welcome back. Joining the conversation, Donna King, Editor-in-Chief of Carolina Journal, Republican State Senator Jim Bergen, Jay Chaudhry, the Democratic Whip in the Senate, and Nelson Dollar, Senior Advisor to North Carolina Speaker of the House. Jay, why don't we begin with the commission on the Supreme Court, the Biden commission, that looked into maybe they should be adding some uh, justices. Yeah, Mark, so as uh, background then, candidate Joe Biden was repeatedly asked during the 2020 election on where he stood on expanding the number of Supreme Court justices. Uh, he never really answered that question, and instead in April of this year, he established a 38-member and bipartisan commission to look at potential reforms for the Supreme Court. Uh, recently, a report, draft report came out. On one hand, the liberals have criticized the report, saying that the draft of the report that discussed the pros and cons of adding seats to the Supreme Court um, actually didn't focus on the merits of adding those seats, but really talked about the fact that it seemed like it was more about a partisan agenda. And on the other hand, you've had a couple of conservative members that have left, uh, that have resigned from the commission. There does appear to be one area of consensus, and that's on term limits for justices. Uh, the United States is actually the only major constitutional democracy that does not have term limits for justices or a fixed retirement age. What are they but, suggesting? Well, they, uh, I, I, there are suggestions between having term limits of between 16 and 18 years. Uh, but even there, there's a catch because most experts believe that you have to have a constitutional amendment. And as we know, it's difficult to amend the Constitution. Nelson, court packing has been tried before by FDR, Franklin Roosevelt. I mean, it's a classic. If you don't like the outcome of the game, change the rules. And the irony is many of the same people who are talking about restoring democratic norms are the first ones to advocate throwing out all of our institutional norms of federalism, separation of powers, and judicial independence, which is what you would get if you did these terms. If they limits. tried this, would it uh, trigger a constitutional crisis? Oh, they absolutely would. And, you know, and there's no appreciation today, right now, on the left or the right, from what Chief Justice Roberts and Justice Breyer, Republicans and Democrats, are trying to do. They are actually on the court trying to limit activism on policy and the scope and construction of decisions when the court can decide a case on standing or on some uh, uh, point of the law, they don't have to reach constitutional issues. And that's why you're seeing more and more, and you're going to see this fall later on, uh, decisions that are far more narrowly tailored. This didn't please the left wing of uh, Biden's party, did it? No, and I think that's one of the reasons the commission was stood up, because he had not taken that position. There are about 36 members of this particular commission. A lot of them are sort of liberal academics. Um, one of the things that is important to note is that, you know, this decision, this report comes out as the high court is really going to be looking at some very important cases, including some Second Amendment, um, an abortion case, things like that. Um, but what they said overall is that a stable democracy does not mess around with its judiciary. 
year. It doesn't do things like that. They compared it to Venezuela and Turkey. So even though the left-leaning uh, politics of the commission, some of the folks who were on it, they said that this just isn't uh, in the cards. It isn't something that a, a democracy should do. Jim, weigh in here. I think it would shatter the legitimacy of the court, and uh, I would be completely against it. I think most moderates are completely against it. And, um, you know, it, it'd be like moving Christmas to July. You know, I mean, it just doesn't make sense. And, and I would pose the question, should we look at doing the same thing for North Carolina? You know, we have a situation where we could change things in North Carolina if we did that. I would be against that. I'm against this. Was this death, Jay, by commission just to placate the left wing of his party, but he doesn't want it to go forward? Well, the president. I, I, I mean, I think it was a way for Biden to try to address the question of expanding the court, which is what we're what we're talking about. I think what is interesting is the commission is actually not making any recommendations. They're simply they're simply analyzing the recommendations. Uh, the other thing to point but, out is, but traditionally, if you don't want to have something come forward, you just slow walk it into commission, right? Well, I think that there's been a good public debate about expanding the courts. I mean, I think there are pros and cons to it. But as I mentioned, I mean, you know, Nelson is right. I mean, the public opinion is again packed against packing the court, but there is support for term limits for justices, public opinion. Quickly. I think it's interesting that liberal justice Stephen Breyer on the court and the late Ruth Bader Ginsburg were both against term limits. Okay, I'm coming right back to you, Nelson. Give us a progress report on North Carolina's budget. Yes, uh, shopping season is in full swing and we don't have a state budget. Uh, but in fairness, it's really the most complex and largest spending bill in the history of the state because we have six billion in federal money, all of the state money. It's a once in a generation plan. Uh, on the positive side, everyone is talking, General Assembly, governor, staff, and the issues have really been narrowed down to a handful of key points Medicaid expansion, taxes, education spending, and executive powers. Everyone has been negotiating in good faith, and the goal is certainly uh, to have an agreement that we can have the governor sign, but we do have options. So uh, if we need to pass a conference report and override a potential veto, uh, that is also on the table, because I think from the General Assembly's perspective, failure is not an option. Jay, your sense of where we are? I think Nelson's right. Um, certainly from the Democratic side, there seems to be movement, um, and uh, it's really come down to those four issues about Medicaid expansion, tax cuts, public uh, teacher pay, and how much we invest um, in meeting our sound constitutional obligations for a sound basic education. But uh, I, I think the real issue is going to be uh, whether that movement can continue or not. I mean, I think that the idea of having a, a conference vote and trying to override the governor's veto may break down the negotiations. And so I think both sides are hopeful, hope that we can come to a compromise. Jim, what do you see as the outstanding issues? Well, it's, it's the money. You know, there's a lot of people want to spend money in a lot of different ways. We have a really good budget. It's a big budget. There's great things in there for mental health. There is expansion in there because we're expanding coverage for new moms up to 12 months, which is going to make a tremendous difference in children's lives and moms' lives. You know, I think I think we need a budget. I can't believe that we're the only state that doesn't have a budget in the country. Uh, I call this uh, deal no deal time. You know, the suitcases are passing back and forth. We need to make a deal. Donna. I think that that's the important. We are the last ones. It's now four months overdue, and there are some key issues that have to be considered and things that people agree on. Uh, infrastructure, uh, sewer and water, community college investments, um, you know, increasing broadband. There's a lot of good things in there, raises uh, for teachers and, and workers and, and state employees. All of these things are important, and we're operating under a 2018-2019 budget because it just hasn't gotten one that the governor will sign. So, the, But these are in critical issues, I and mean, there are fundamental things that have to be taken care of. 
care of. You know, I saw there's been a lot of national news on our budget. There has. There has. Well, it gets attention when you're the last one out of the gate. Um, but, you know, th these are all things that have been going back and forth. I've been encouraged to see uh, a lot of this back and forth and, and trying to work together and get something that the governor will sign if he's not willing to. I'm glad that there's an alternative, uh, whether, you know, the General Assembly will be able to get those votes to override a veto uh, seems a little bit unlikely just because they've been pretty lockstep behind the governor uh, in the past. But uh, the expansion of coverage for new moms, there's a lot of really good, strong things that have been proposed. There's a lot to this budget, and I hope we can get something on the books. Nelson, my sense in talking to people is that there will be a deal next week. Well, I think it is coming to a moment of decision, and I think we have to press forward. And, of course, we would love to have the governor's signature, but I do think we have very much the option of um, members of both parties uh, in sufficient votes to override a potential veto if it comes to that. Because I think people understand that this budget, uh, as Senator Bergen pointed out, it has to be passed. There's too much in there, too much at stake, not to get these funds out, the federal funds, as well as some very critical state programs. Okay, I want to move on to talk about Facebook. They're taking a lot of heat, Donna. They are, and when you're taking a lot of heat, what do you, what do, you do? You rebrand? I mean, that's what we heard uh, most recently is that Facebook's changing its Change name the topic. to Meta uh, because it's supposed to be a referral to the meta, Metaverse, Meta Universe um, that Mark Zuckerberg envisions, which would move a lot of our online experiences from 3D, uh, Zoom meetings, things like that, to uh, from 2D to 3D, more of a virtual reality approach to the Internet. I have no doubt that eventually they'll be able to make this work out, but right now nobody's taking their calls on Capitol Hill, and I think that's an important point to make. They've been taking that's a, a great lot point. of heat uh, in these hearings because there was a whistleblower that came forward with a lot of um, closed room documents from Facebook that explained how Facebook researched, uh, monetized, manipulated the teen mind, uh, and, and particularly teenage girls through Instagram um, and a few other things, how they sort of looked the other way on human trafficking that was happening on their platform. Uh, it was not a good look, not a good look for them at all. And right now, Capitol Hill is swarming with big data lobbyists who can't get in the door uh, because a lot of lawmakers are saying, not interested, not going to talk to you. But don't underestimate them. They are still a $30 billion a year company, and my guess is they'll survive. Jay, this is bipartisan outrage, though, isn't it? Uh, there's absolutely bipartisan outrage. I mean, I think the folks that benefit are going to be the lawyers and lobbyists mm -hmm. uh, for Facebook. But um, there's clearly a narrative, I think, that's being painted of which Facebook has put profits over uh, safety, and there's going to be a bipartisan and a global effort to regulate Facebook um, because of the complaints, you know, the internal complaints now that we've seen through the Wall Street Journal articles that have talked about political misinformation and pushing uh, QAnon conspiracy theories as well. Yeah, in that realm, they, they also, Jim, a lot of critics say they're suppressing free speech. They are. And as far as the name, you can uh, name a rattlesnake precious, but it's still going <laughs> to bite you. And, and I think we really need to be careful now. It's completely out of hand. You know, banning the New York Post article because they didn't like the story that they put out. Banning a North Carolina rapper because of his song about Biden is ridiculous. They're a monopoly. We have laws to deal with monopolies. We need to be enforcing the laws. Nelson. Well, I, I, someone said we're in the age of rage, and that's very true. Every issue is existential, every situation played for the maximum drama, every social norm is being challenged, every division magnified, and of course, in this case, every failing personified by a villain, in this case, you know, Zuckerberg and, and, and Facebook. And we do need um, 
bipartisan federal regulation, and I think that we're going to get that. But we also need uh, to stop assign, you know, this whole business of we got to assign a blame because these social media platforms are not the ones creating the content. The fundamental problem well, in social media. They're not a public media. company either, right? So, well, I mean, that's a, that's a problem. They're, right? they're not. And all the, the, most of this content is being created by people who are looking out of a window and they're reporting their outrage at the world when, in fact, they're actually looking in a mirror. Donna. Yeah, I mean, I think that that's a legitimate point. A lot of folks are calling this whistleblower sort of a Trojan horse uh, because they're, she's, she's bringing material to lawmakers and uh, fake, Facebook wants to shape what these new regulations look like to best benefit them. Um, but the key is somehow they're able to squash speech they don't like, but they can't get control over slavery that's happening on their platforms. In general, you're seeing a, a an intentional mismanagement of their resources. It and their, really their did influence. affect teens, though, didn't it, what they were it doing? It did, absolutely. And, and and, you know, and they knew, and that's the difficult part is that there was a lot of money, a lot of research that went into being able to monetize what that happens. But frankly, they are a private company, they are a company, and, and it is my responsibility as a parent to know what my kids are looking at. And uh, their influence is so widespread that I think that lawmakers are just getting a handle on how much they've shaped our communities. Jim, wrap this up. Final thoughts in about 40 seconds. Things are going to change. I think that people are tired of it. I think that public is looking at uh, the whole Facebook situation. They're getting their kids off of it. A lot of a lot of young people have left Facebook, and I think a lot of adults are leaving Facebook too. Okay, I want to come right back to you. Talk about the supply chain supply chain crisis that's impacting grocery shelves. Yes, sir, and this is a disaster that the Biden administration has been uh, slow to respond to. Carolina, Carol, California ports are not allowing independent truckers to come on site. They're not allowing trucks built before 2014 to come on site. That went into effect October 1st. Unions control the workforce and the hours. Dock workers make an average of $171,000 in California ports, and foremen make $282,000. Uh, they fight modernization, they restrict growth. No U.S. port is ranked in the top 50 ports in the world. Uh, the Philadelphia port is the highest one we have. It has 80, it's ranked 83 in the world. Oakland's 332, and LALB is 328 and 333. Um, the good news is I talked to Laura Blair at the North Carolina Direct, she's North Carolina Director of Ports. The North Carolina ports, the hot sign is on, and there's no waiting. Okay, Jay, this is just more than a port problem, though, isn't it? It is, and we've talked about this before. I mean, this is a port issue. It's a trucking issue, as Jim mentioned. It's uh, it's natural disasters. It's labor shortage. I mean, there's a it's the vaccine number... mandate for truckers too. Yes. Well, Could th be. there is. I, I don't I don't know how much that contributes ultimately to the supply chain issue, but I, but I think there are two messages that'll be interesting as we deal with this. One is. Um, because of the supply chain issues, um, I think we're going to be prepared for probably the most expensive Thanksgiving ever. There's an article in the New York Times talking about that, so we're looking at price increases. But secondly, we're starting our Christmas shopping early, right? People, I think, I think there's an amazing amount of media coverage now that's talking about the uh, encouraging consumers really to start their shopping now because of concerns about the supply chain. The White House says there's too much demand, and also, Nelson, I, I saw that Jenny Yellen said inflation is going to go into mid-22 at the very least. Oh, at the very least, and supply chain issues are, are part of that. And when you say, well, demand is, is a problem, demand is normally not a problem in the economy. We don't want to tamp down demand because supply, these multiple kinks in the hose will eventually get worked out. Now, you know, 
part of the problem is there were supply chain issues and strains in the system globally and nationally long before the pandemic came along. The pandemic came along and just intensified everything. So, for example, on truck drivers, you know how long it takes to raise a 25-year-old truck driver? 25 years. Some of these problems are going to be chasing us for quite some time. And, you know, companies have got to, worldwide, have got to adjust to demographics to the monumental geopolitical changes that are actually under the way, underway globally. And one of the interesting things about the Port of Los Angeles was is that in the president's call with all of these folks at the port, and right, let's open it 24-7, he didn't have one person in the room from the companies that actually operate the ports, because if he did, then he would have been addressing the issues that Senator uh, uh, Bergen raised. And, Donna, low-income families are really going to get hit hard by this, aren't they? Oh, for sure. Inflation always goes to uh, the lowest-income folks because it's, it hits their pocketbook hard, and it will at Christmas and it will at Thanksgiving. But truthfully, this is the stranglehold of our regulatory environment. Uh, not only do you have uh, unions controlling the ports, but you also have, you know, there are cargo and passenger planes that are willing to carry uh, carry goods around the country. They're not allowed to. Um, I think that uh, uh, President Biden can really, he needs to be, this is an opportunity to step out of his political agenda, come back home, leave Europe and start telling the GSA to find extra storage space in federal facilities to, you know, lift some of these regula regulations that are keeping things jammed up at the ports and keeping things from moving to local stores. Is it the regulations, Jim? It is. A lot of it is. And right now we're 80,000 drivers short and the mandate is in effect for these guys. The big companies are looking at that right now. I've talked to them. They're saying we're either going to have to get these guys shot or, or we're going to have to park more trucks. And the other thing is we have fewer, uh, there, is, there are some ports in the world that can be run with six people. Uh, modernization has to be done in, in U.S. ports. Great job. Let's go to the most underreported story of the week, Donna. So uh, Terry McAuliffe campaign, of course, this is hardly underreported. We're all watching it very closely, what's happening in Virginia, uh, because I think there's a lot of theory that this is a test ground for messaging for 2022 for, for both parties. In this case, the McAuliffe campaign uh, for governor spent hundreds of thousands of dollars setting up fake local news sites uh, and pushing out ads disguised as articles. And I think it goes right back to what we were talking about at Facebook, and they really want to see if the these fake articles, if these fake sites are going to get traction online. But they spent hundreds of thousands of dollars, and it tells you that 2020 was not lost on the campaign strategist for 2022. So is this a preview, you think, of 2022, what might happen on social media? I think so. I think they're testing a lot of their strategies and methods, and we could probably see it here in North Carolina in the next few months. Jim? No one may come when you call 911 with a medical emergency. One-third of first responders and paramedics are quitting. Uh, hospitals are now hiring par paramedics to take the place of nurses. Uh, we're going to have a huge health care crisis in this country. We're seeing it. Uh, nurses and doctors are burnt out. The estimate is two and a half million are going to be leaving. So uh, dial 911 and pray. That's coming into a showdown in New York City right now. It is. Okay, Jay. Uh, most underreported story for me was Rolling Stone magazine came out with an article this week about several members of Congress of being intimately involved in planning both former President Trump's effort to overturn the election loss and the January 6th events that turned violent. One of those members cited in the article was Madison Cawthorn, the congressman from Western North Carolina, who has been an ardent Trump supporter and made frequent claims about election fraud. Nelson, underreported, please, my friend. The climate conference uh, will be in Glasgow, will be widely reported. What's going to go unreported is why China, India, Russia, and some other major air polluters 
are not going to be able to meet their net uh, net zero carbon targets uh, that will certainly be agreed to in the, uh, by the end of the conference. And the reality is they can't. The economics of countries like Russia and Saudi Arabia, for example, rely on hydrocarbon extraction. You take that away, you don't have a country. Countries like China Quickly. and India can't afford to go green because they don't have enough commercially viable wind and solar and they have demographic, economic, and geopolitical challenges that are really high, uh, higher priorities for them. Uh, China recently, as you saw, their, their outages, uh, that's just one example of their dilemma. So CO2 reduction is an important global goal, uh, but we really need a more realistic approach to focus on ways that we can frankly adapt to a higher global temperature. Jay, should the president have not gone to Europe and stayed here to try to get his agenda through, his bills through? That's kind of on hold, isn't well, it? Well, I, I mean, I think it's important for the president to lead on climate change and demonstrate that we are a, a leader in that. I mean, what I think, I think what was unexpected and disappointing is that he didn't have a infrastructure bill that passed to Does kind of get Does he have by, juice with his own caucus? I, I think ultimately it, he will have the juice to get the caucus there. It's just taking longer than I think people expected it to. Okay, let's go to the lightning round, Donna. Who's up and who's down this week? Uh, up for sure is energy prices. Um, average gas prices are up more than 50% over this time last year. And now uh, they're saying that the average household energy bill will be about 30% higher this winter than it was last winter. There's a huge weight on the economy, and it's really, really a huge weight. It impacts the people up north, doesn't it? It, it does. It impacts uh, particularly low-income houses and prices when we go into the holidays. Um, yeah. Down is uh, public confidence in the economy. Speaks right to the exact same thing. A Gallup poll of uh, independent voters said about 72% of them think our economy is actually getting worse. In Virginia, in the Virginia race, that's uh, the economy and education are top tier issues, I they think. They are, and that independent, that unaffiliated voter is going to be critical. Jim? Homeowners insurance rates could go up double digits next year. Number of natural disasters, wildfires, uh, building materials, labor, uh, reinsurance are all impacting the industry. We see flood rates triple in some places. Um, Going to be a lot of expensive things happening next year. Okay, down? Down. Civil, uh, civility and personal responsibility. Um, I think we need to choose not to be offended. There's, there's so too much So are you offense. on the internet? you got to watch that now. Go well, ahead. <laughs> I, look, I, I think we need to be more tender with each other. We, need to be, we, we really do need to exhibit Christian uh, actions with each other. Me and my friend, Senator Chaudhry, get along great. We have great conversations. We work together, and I wish everybody would. I second that. Yeah. Who's up? Who's down this week? Well, uh, there's we I, we got some. We have to have some good news. There's a lot of down going on here. Uh, so what's up are actually jobs in North Carolina. The unemployment rate in the state has actually declined for every month for the past year, and the jobless rate now in North Carolina is 4.2 percent. Important to remember that our unemployment rate was 13.5 percent during the uh, pandemic, and down unfortunately, Mark was the state fair attendance. Uh, the state fair saw its lowest attendance since 2008. That certainly has to be attributed to the pandemic. Nelson. We predicted that, by the way, if you recall. <laughs> okay. All right. Uh, who's up? Uh, tax schemes in Congress. And although wealth taxes and the old-fashioned rate increases have been shot down by Senators Sinema and Manchin, uh, Biden and Congress are still finding ways to raise about $2 billion in taxes, uh, one of the largest increases since World War II. And I would just add that uh, tax and capital, and while inflation is on the rise, is a recipe for a slower economy next year. Who's down? Wind energy in the host country for the climate conference due to some very unusual calm winds in Britain uh, this, this year. Uh, energy, wind energy production, which is about 25% of their electricity, is down 70%. 
they're having to bring gas plants back online. So you see what Elon Musk said about the wealth tax, the billionaire mm-hmm. tax. He has a better way to spend his money. Headline next week. <laughs> I think everybody's going to be really talking about congressional maps and congressional races. Among them, uh, Democratic candidate for the 7th District, Mark Judson, tweeted this week uh, that he compared Republicans to worse than uh, 20 terrorists in airplanes. And I think that we'll see increased pressure on some of these candidates to clean up their act. There's really no good news from time to time here on some of this stuff, is there? Okay, headline next week, my friend. Republicans win Virginia. No matter the outcome on Tuesday, Republicans are going to be fired up for 2022. The, if, for the election to be this close in a state that pres- the President Biden won by 10 points is, is hard to believe. I got to tell you, there's no second place in politics <laughs> in the election. Jay. Yeah, I'm going to take a different headline than my, my friend here and say that uh, that Governor Terry McAuliffe and the, and the Virginia House ekes out a victory, but there certainly are some warning signs for Democrats. Well, our colleague uh, uh, Morgan Jackson says there's been a, a preponderance of early voting by Democrats. Have you it, seen that? I, I have not seen that, but I wouldn't be surprised. And, you know, given the, t- given the fact that polling may be off, this may be one of those instances that works in favor for Democrats. Does it change Biden's agenda if the Republicans win there? Does he lose momentum? I think that he has to really focus on the economy. I mean, I, I think that there's been a lot of talk about COVID and fighting the vaccine, but I think you really got to focus on the economy going forward. Headline next week. Dire predictions from the climate conference. What's the predictions? Well, the predictions are going to be, I mean, if you read the latest article in Foreign Affairs, I mean, they're, they're thinking that we're going to have to have some sort of global entity created, some sort of, you know, global structures, institutions to combat climate. They're talking about in the hundreds of trillions of dollars of investment. It's, it's we got to understandable, but not realistic. Great photo op. But anyway, that's it for us. <laughs> Thanks for watching. Hope to see you next week on Front Row. Have a great weekend. Major funding for Front Row is provided by Robert L. Luddy. Additional funding provided by Patricia and Ku Ewing through the Ewing Foundation, committed to bridging cultural differences in our communities. And by... Funding for the lightning round is provided by NC Realtors, Helen Lockery, Mary Louise and John Burris, Reifenberg Construction, Stephen Gleason, and Jane and Van Hip. A complete list of funders can be found at pbsnc.org slash front row.